Welcome to Goiter Dialogues by the Goiter Institute, Max Müller Bhavan, New Delhi. Our podcast where we talk about art, culture, education and civil society with people from all walks of life. So get ready for some interesting conversations with some very interesting personalities. Hosted by Puneet Kaur. Guten Tag and hello and welcome to Goethe Dialogues. Our guest today is Mr. Ali Saiden. He is the principal of the Civilization School in Karachi since 2004. A local Karachi boy, he studied at the London School of Economics and in France and was a banker in London in his previous career. He chose to come back to Pakistan and set up and work at this school. The emphasis of the school is on sports and co-curricular activities. And one of the USPs of the school, perhaps, is that it has been teaching German for the past 12 years. So, Mr. Saidian, welcome to Goethe Dialogues. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, I'll start out with a very general question, as we in India know so little about the Pakistan's education system. Just give us a bit of an overview of the state education system in Pakistan. How many years of schooling, medium of instructions? Is it a federal system? How does it work? Sure. Okay. That's that's a number of questions rolled into one. Uh, but uh, but foremost, uh, starting with India, just like India, we, uh, we start uh, formal schooling at the age of six. Uh, we matriculate at the age of 16, and then we go on to another two years. Uh, we call it college. We do our intermediate uh, or FSC um, or FA, it's called, um, after which you go into, into the university. And then it's four years of, uh, of undergrad education for the degree. Four years of undergrad. Um, that's right. And that's changed in the last 10-ish years. So yeah, by now the system has changed into four years of undergrad. Um, that's to start with. Um, we, um, but I would like to, uh, uh, to clarify that um, education in Pakistan is not a monolith. Uh, there is the state education system. Um, there is, uh, I think, more relevant, uh, perhaps for the international audience is also the education system for the well-heeled, uh, which is the private schools and the quality private schools. Um, in those schools, um, you don't matriculate at the age of 16. In fact, you do your, um, your O-level that is called at the age of uh, 17. So 11 years of formal education, and then another two years of uh, A-levels, advanced level that is called. Um, so you graduate from there at the age of 19, and then you go on for another four years of undergrad education. So there is a state, basically it's a state-run system, but it, but there are quite a few private schools who follow also what I would say is the IGCSE system. Right? That's what you're trying to say. Yes. That's, that's, that's right, um, and they do. Um, there is also the other thing that... Um, that the system is now envisaged to be a provincial system, as in uh, education is now a provincial subject, and increasingly this, uh, the, the, the federal government is getting out of it. Um, uh, but the pace is it's a Pakistani pace of, of, of doing things. Um, largely, the federal system uh, has remained intact, although the provinces now uh, 
do make their own decisions. In some cases, they insist on certain things, but the, the, it's it's similar in that um, matriculation at 16 and intermediate at the age of 18. Um, I think you also asked about the medium of instruction, which which is a which is an entire topic in itself. Um, and uh, so the Pakistani system is largely a um, an uh, Urdu language-based system. Um, having said that, um, that applies more to the state-run schools and uh, more and more private schools. At an as an aspiration, they call themselves English medium schools, um, and therefore the curriculum is is predominantly in English, um, and uh, and depending and, and it really depends on the quality of the school how well they teach within that language or not. But uh, um, the private school system is is largely almost predominantly in English. A medium system, whereas the state system is is uh, the, the teaching is in order. Um, what did you say? What percentage of kids in Pakistan are enrolled in private schools? Not just in the large cities, but also in tier two towns, or maybe even tier three, tier four towns. Sure, and and we have we have figures on that, and we've had figures on that uh, very nicely classified for the last many many years. Um, roughly. Um, 36% of school going of school age children in pakistan 36% don't go to school at all of the of the balance 37% go to government schools and another i've got the figures here another 23% go to private schools so there is roughly a 60 40 split amongst school going children 60% go to government schools and 40% go to private schools and the motivation for sending kids to a private school is? So um, let me answer that question and then give you the background to it. Um, uh, the motivation clearly is, is a better education in private schools. Uh, and that's a, that's a little funny at, at, at a certain level. So let me, let me explain that to you. Um, the, um, the private schools, I said 40% of, of children in Pakistan enroll in private schools. Um, but private schools are differ in their quality. So you would have private schools which are charging 200 Pakistani rupees. Uh, you're talking about roughly 100 Indian rupees. Um, and going all the way to, um, let's say, even 50,000 Pakistani rupees per month. Um, and the quality uh, is, is roughly proportional uh, to that. Um, in quality private schools, um, uh, the medium of instruction is in English. Uh, it is taught well. Uh, people are totally fluent, and therefore, because their English is, is is they have command over the language. Therefore, they also have command over science and, and uh, general studies and, uh, and even mathematics. Um, private schools, um, smaller private schools, of course, they um, or or private schools in uh, less urban areas, less well settled areas, uh, with charge to 300, 400, or even 1000 rupees a month, um, are not able to do uh, such a good job at teaching. Um, um, but nevertheless, um, and, and they're not, but, and, and also um, the teachers that they recruit, uh, you're charging 200 rupees a month, 
uh, per child. What can you afford to do to pay your teacher? So the teachers are not as well qualified, etc. Um, however, um, you would have in a village, in a typical village in Pakistan, you would have a large government school, and you would have a couple of private schools there, which are small, little hovels, and yet. Uh, and despite the fact that government school teachers are better paid and are better qualified, the private schools deliver better education. And the monitoring is better. The, uh, there is greater diligence on, on behalf of the teacher. There certainly is a lot more interest. There's, there's greater motivation. Um, uh, it's, it's evident in the teachers. Uh, there's almost enthusiasm uh, to teach well. Um, and therefore, um, the reason why people opt for private schools is because they get better education and better results uh, from private schools, uh, which they don't get from government schools. Um, government schools, I suppose, uh, this is not too dissimilar from India, where um, it's not just about the, the lack of motivation of the teachers. The teachers are well qualified, they are well paid. Um, they are well stationed as well. I mean, you start off as a, as a government school teacher in a town which is 300 miles from your village, let's say, uh, and you eventually uh, are able to work through the system and get a posting in your village. So you're well paid, you are near home, um, and you're not, yet you're not motivated to teach. Um, I, I'm not blaming the government school teacher. I think the governance of the, the government schools is such that uh, I don't. I think that hard work and interest might even be frowned upon. Um, so um, there is the parents can see the lack of results when they send their children to private uh, to government schools, and increasingly they have opted for private schools, which are not as well resourced as government schools. This all sounds very familiar. I think in India, we could tell a very similar story, maybe not 100% the same, but very, very similar. But there's one difference that I have noted. Now, this is especially in the private schools uh, area. In India, very few of our private schools follow the IGCSE system as it is followed in Pakistan. Here, most of the private schools would follow uh, the Indian system, whether it's the CBSE system or what we call the ICSE system or the local boards, even the English medium schools, the private schools in smaller towns, even in large metros like Delhi, Mumbai, uh, Calcutta, they all follow, or not all, all would be saying too much, but most of them follow the, the Indian boards. What is, what is the reason that in Pakistan, quite a few of the private schools, at least the ones that I know of, do follow the IGCSE system? Um, indeed, and, and this is, let me just say right away, uh, that that's quite sad that we do. But we do. Um, and this is, so your exams, you sit your grade 11 exams and the papers are taken across to the UK for grading. The papers are set there, etc. Um, what that has done to the Pakistani education system is, is, is split it into two. Um, you have the quality schools, all quality schools in Pakistan. Almost all quality schools in Pakistan follow the IGCSE. Uh, examination board um, and therefore and and are uh, uh, largely able to deliver quality education. Um, what that means is that the children of the well-heeled are all in, in private schools and they follow a different board therefore. Um, and whereas 
the rest of the schools follow the local boards. Now, what that means is that the, the minister's son or the or the secretary's son or 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 um, or indeed their community don't have never set foot in a government school. I don't think that my children have ever been inside, or I I don't think that they've even noted a government school nearby. Um, and and I think this is largely true for most um, uh, people in any position of power in Pakistan. Um, they've never sat inside or they've never been to a government school. Now, for that means that there's no feedback you back to the policymakers or to the elites of the country. Uh, it, the government schools have been abandoned by the elite, um, left to the dogs, so to, uh, quite literally. Um, and, and, and therefore, there's this split where you have quality education for the rich and no education uh, for the poor. Um, so why this has happened? I think this, it doesn't happen. There's no grand design here. Um, there were a few schools, one or two, um, back when in the early 80s, when I did my O-levels, there were maybe a handful of schools in Karachi which were doing the O-levels. IGCSEs um, with the University of Cambridge, and now it has grown all around us. I think um, uh, something like a hundred thousand students from Pakistan sit the uh, sit that board every year, um, and and uh, that is the way to go, largely. Um, I would, however, like to note uh, a, uh, a, a an exception here, which is the Aga Khan board. Um, which is the Al Khan University in Karachi, which has come up with its own education board. Um, and now there are, it's not just the Al Khan board, there are a couple of others, but Al Khan board is the notable exception where they offer matriculation and intermediate, but the, uh, the exams are very, papers are very intelligently set. So you can't do the classic memorize everything and then regurgitate that answer or some other answer and so long as the um in the local board so long as you filled out eight pages it doesn't matter what you've written so long as it looks like english or urdu um, you can't do that with the Ahan board you have to think about what you're going to say and you have to write it precisely um, the Ahan board is uh been increasingly popular especially popular with the with the ngos um and and uh uh, it's, the numbers are not, they don't, the numbers don't compete with the popularity of the, uh, the IGCSEs in Pakistan, but a number of, of responsible and, uh, autonomous schools um, have opted for it and is doing rather well. I still don't get it. Why is it still that even a private elitist school in Pakistan says, I'll follow the Pakistan board? I'll follow their curricula and uh, I'll still have good students at the end because my teachers will do a better job and work with my students. Like that's the case in India. The syllabi is the same, whether it's a government school or a private school, just private schools just do a better job of uh, teaching their students and show better results. Uh, is Why does that not happen in Pakistan? Why do you feel the alternative is only an IGCSE system, which is from Cambridge, which is alien in many ways to your country? Well, first of all, I, th I do think that we have sleepwalked into it. I think we offered the, the, the foreign board uh, and the local board was also there. 
and we started off with most uh, people, very few people opting for the foreign board. That's how it started off. Um, as we went along, more and more people started opting for the foreign board, and there was no restriction on it. Um, as as good students, more and more good students, and uh, more and more strong families moved out of the government education system, the government uh, the government boards started declining, and there was no nobody watching it. And by now, we have come to a point where it's a little laughable. I mean, you 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 can pick up those exam papers and 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 and. Uh, um, um, and be amazed at, at, at uh, how the papers are set. Um, so the government schools are um, have been left to languish, um, whereas the elites have moved on. As I said, they've sleepwalked into it without realizing what they're doing as a collective. Everyone has made their own individual decision. It's just like a brain drain where you know your elite have, um, and, and that's the thing about Pakistani elite. Um, uh, most of the Pakistani elite are trying to get out of the country, uh, if anything, um, or they want their children to get out and then and, and go abroad and get that education and then perhaps settle there. Um, I think we're not thinking about it as a collective. I, I don't think anybody has as yet uh, taken ownership of, uh, of, of trying to solve or to address this phenomenon. But the Pakistani board is recognized by a university, say in the UK or the US or in Germany or elsewhere. If you were to finish, uh, if you were to go to a school which follows the Pakistan board, you would still be eligible, isn't it, to study abroad? Indeed, you, you will still be eligible. What percentage of kids in Pakistan go abroad to study, whether from the private schools, I suppose, I don't think the government schools kids would be going abroad to study or if at all, very few. But what percentage of kids from uh, private schools go abroad for studies? Okay, so um, my answer would be a mix of a uh, of an educated guess and an estimate. Um, so um, the um, the CAIE doesn't, which which is the uh, which is the IGCSE, the board that uh, the body that administers the IGCSEs in Pakistan. Um, they claim that something like a hundred thousand students sit their exams. So our estimate is uh, around 35,000 sit the A-levels exams, which is equivalent to intermediate. Um, and um, that, that is from the CIE. Our um, estimate is something like 16 or 17% of those students go abroad to study. Um, and that would be, so 35,000 into 17, I think that would be a good number. Um, other students, if they go, would, would, would simply be an, a little increment over this. So, so let me repeat. Of 35,000 sit the A-levels exam in Pakistan every year, um, of which something like 17% go abroad. Go abroad. That's not very large, the number. I would have imagined it, is, it would be a much bigger number. So the rest basically choose to go to university in Pakistan itself. Uh, that speaks for the quality of university education in Pakistan. Would you say that? I, I have to say the quality of universities in Pakistan has improved. Um, uh, I won't use the word dramatically, but, but markedly over the last uh, 20 to 30 years. There is the Aga Khan University, which as yet is offering uh, only medicine. 
um, but is now branching um, medicine and nursing and teacher training. Uh, but they're also branching out into uh, arts and sciences. So, so we're looking forward to that. Um, there's Habib University in, in Karachi, which, which is a, a liberal arts and engineering university. Interesting spin there. Um, uh, for the uh, they've been doing a very good job. They're very new on the block, but have quickly established themselves um, um, last five or six years. Um, but there's also Lahore University of Management Science up, up in Lahore, which has been around for the last 30 years or so, and is now a multi, a large multidisciplinary university. I think, uh, certainly in terms of thought leadership across Pakistan, you, you look towards slums. Um, there's also National University of Science and Technology, which uh, has the um, which which has the military um, uh, presiding over it and doing a good job on this one. Um, I say that I know I say that with a little bit of a snicker, um, but but yes, they're doing it, and NAST is doing a great job. NAST is. Um, very much there in international lists, and it's a, uh, a clear leaning towards science and technology. So uh, it's the the most preferred university in Pakistan, uh, and probably now the biggest. Uh, there is the GIK Institute up in up in the north near Islamabad, um, which is uh, for engineering, um, and there, there is there are two three other. Uh, universities which do a great job at computer science. So, so yes, um, uh, there's there's a whole bunch of universities now in Pakistan. All these universities you just named are they state-run or are they private? They are autonomous um, universities. They were something like NUST has been established by a government body, um, but it's autonomous. Um, it doesn't get funding from the the old university grants commission, although they are they are they are monitored, all of these guys are monitored by by the what is called the HEC in Pakistan, the Higher Education Commission, uh, but they're not funded by them, uh, so they are autonomous universities. Um, there are also so the, so there are certain universities which where the vice chancellor is appointed. Um, by a state-run body, um, there would be one or two, uh, but the rest of them are, they have their own boards, they have been led, established by private individuals as autonomous university, not for profit very much, but autonomous university. Um, and what about not have a contact with the government. Yeah, what about the old state-run universities? Like I've, uh, I'm, a, I'm a child of refugee parents here in India, and I often hear of the Punjab universities in Lahore, which they all claim that we went there. Well, how have those universities done? How have government schools done? <laughs> so um, I think that there is... So I, I, I might name one or two state-run universities, but they would be the exceptions. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, now to come back to school, uh, we in India face, do face a problem and that is a problem of school dropout. Somewhere in middle school, a lot of the kids just drop out for various reasons. They drop out, especially girls. Is that the reason in Pakistan too? And if yes, what, what are the reasons that the kids drop out? <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I... And I um... My my reaction uh, is is 
because this this has been such a long story in Pakistan and, and, um, and so many players involved in in, in this debate. Um, Puneet, uh, as I just told you, 36% of school-age children in Pakistan don't go to school. Now, uh, there's a, there's a, there's a, a knee-jerk reaction saying, oh, children are not, these children never went to school and there aren't enough schools around. And that is not true at all. Um, um, there are, um, if, you, if you compare junior school to senior school, you would see the large majority of uh, junior school uh, children, the large majority going to school. And uh, you compare that with senior school where, um, but that's not so at all. And, and uh, such a large number not going to school. And that has been so for the last 15, 20 years. Um, now, how do you interpret this data? Is that uh, these kids did go to school once. And by the time they get to grade five, which is roughly 10 years of age, uh, and that's the age when they can bolt out of the room faster than their parents can catch them. Um, and that's when these kids said, I ain't taken any more of it. You send me to the school where at best I am locked in a room and I have to rote learn stuff and then regurgitate it and it's no use to me. Um, I probably don't have a very well ventilated room or a fan, the electricity goes. Um, I can only get bored. I have nothing else to do. If I try to play with my fellow students, uh, the teacher goes after me, uh, and not just with a tongue lashing, um, uh, but, 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 but more perhaps. Um, and at, at worst, these schools are not safe for me. So uh, this is not a great experience. So as um, independent-minded students or children would love to run away from school. And, such a, and, and as we can see, they vote with their feet and they do get up. Now, um, there's two different phenomena at work here between girls and boys. Okay? So the boys, because they're able to, to hold their own vis-a-vis -vis the parents, um, but also the boys have greater opportunities. They can go into the bazaar, they can sit with their father selling vegetables and maybe doing a little bit of maths in, in exchanging money. Um, in, in get finding out that they are actually quite good at adding rupees and anas and pesas, um, uh, or they are good at trading, or they are good at judging people coming in to buy um, a cucumber from them and how much to charge, etc. So they pick up a lot of people's skills, or they're playing with their, with their mates somewhere out there in the, in, the, in the backyards or in the lanes. Um, and that's a lot more rewarding for them. So they, they go. So life has more opportunities for boys than just um, just boring old school. Um, hookers is a different phenomenon. Uh, it's a sadder story. Um, girls, when they are okay, um, so you, I'm sending my daughter to school, and the school is uh, quite possibly. Not in my village, but in the next village. And you have to go through the brambles and to go through uh, various thickets to get to school. And it's, it's three miles off or five. Um, 
And so long as she hasn't reached puberty and she's not shaped like a woman, uh, you feel safe, safer. Um, by the time she starts getting attention from, from males, you don't want her to get out of the, out of the house. And uh, things are a little more, not much more, but a little more conservative in Pakistan than they are in India. Um, so you would rather sit your girl at home and help her mother cook or wash uh, or even go to the nearby fields to farm. Um, so that's what girls do. Um, so to that extent, I think, I think getting girls back into school is a school distribution problem. As in there need to be more schools or wider, more widely distributed schools in Pakistan. Keeping boys in school is about really delivering quality that these kids can see through. Uh, so, 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 I suspect this is not too different from India, but probably a bit more, a bit more worse than what goes on in India. Uh, India is a similar story, but in the last few years, I would say many governments, not all these against state governments, uh, have made a lot of effort to try and keep kids in school, especially girls. I think about 10 years ago, one of our governments in Bihar started a program where girls, if they stayed in school and went into, at the minute they went into a senior school, were given bicycles so they could drive to school and back because they were so far away and it was hugely successful that particular program. So there is an effort to try and keep more girls uh, in school and also boys uh, with mixed results, I would say. But I think otherwise it all sounded very familiar to me, <laughs> what you were just saying. I, I, I can tell you, uh, Puneet, and, and we haven't discussed this before, but um, uh, I am not a, uh, I'm not a TMLN voter. I'm, I'm not a Shabazz Sharif voter. I haven't been. Uh, but let me let me uh, say that in the Punjab, under his chief ministership, and Punjab is sixty percent of Pakistan, there was wave upon wave of reforms of school education under him, uh, and he was very lion-hearted about. It. He took a lot of political risks in, in in reforming, trying to reform the education system in in Punjab. Um, I spent a lot of money. McKinsey was involved. Um, I think the results have been at at best mixed on those reforms. So I think, I think there's a lot, there has been focus, uh, there's been innovation, uh, but we haven't quite cracked anything quite yet. I think the Imran Khan government also um, uh, had, it was very much there in their, in their uh, agenda. Uh, but I think that they, I, in my opinion, they took a little detour, they went in the wrong direction and they started working on the curriculum. Um, and I really don't think it, the curriculum is. The, I really don't think curriculum is the problem. I think that's the easy. That's the easy way of saying that. Look, uh, you know, of, of looking busy. Mm -hmm. uh, the the problem with schools in Pakistan, uh, it seems much more than in India, is a governance problem, uh, a lack of ownership problem, a lack of local ownership problem. And, and it is, uh, it is uh, stuck in the party politics of Pakistan, where government school teachers are, are looked at as, as, as political workers for the next election, and therefore are given jobs because they belong to a certain party, and, and, and are eventually used, and are well looked after because they belong to a political party. 
And I, I think each political party is more cynical than the previous one on, on, on this one. So we are, we are badly mired there. But anyhow, Shabazz Sharif is your new Prime Minister, so maybe <laughs> that's good news for education in Pakistan if you say what he did in Punjab was so successful, it will spread to the rest of the country. Let's hope well, so. I just hope that his next experiment is better than his last few. How do you mean that? I, uh, well, I, I do think that, that, that there was a lot of effort made at uh, education reform. Uh, it is my personal opinion that uh, the, the reforms were based much more on, on the on the teaching and they were more system-based responses. And uh, it is my opinion that uh, uh, the, what you need instead is not create robust systems. No, that's not what you need. What you need is great governance where the principal takes greater ownership of the school and the principal is answerable to the local uh, people. About the is answerable to the parents about the quality of education. Uh, I think that is what needs to be cracked, rather than high tech solutions to uh, consultants going about with their uh, their uh, iPads and and noting down results, uh, quick results at every school, etc. Uh, I, I think that's the wrong way to go. But but anyway, uh, this is an individual bit. Yeah, principals taking ownership and being answerable to parents is a dream world both our countries can hope for, I think. <laughs> okay, now the question that I have is, Pakistan is a declared Islamic state. Are any periods uh, in your timetable earmarked for religious education in schools, whether it is Islam or even what we in India used to at one point called moral education, moral science? I remember I had it when I was in school. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you would have enjoyed it, but uh, but the uh, no, I think I think you can overstate the case here. Um, the um, yes, you have Islamic studies as a subject in Pakistan. Um, uh, most schools do it twice a week. Um, some might some might do four periods a week. There are certainly in my school there are thirty nine close to forty periods a week, and out of that, two to four might go to Islamic studies. 90% of it does not go into Islamic study. So you, uh, no, you won't be able to quantify that. I, I don't think that number is particularly large. Um, religion does permeate into the curriculum for Urdu or social studies, or uh, which is history, and, and perhaps into English uh, to an extent. Uh, there's a certain religiosity and a certain piety uh, that is uh, that is kind of uh, put together, you know, the boy and a girl playing in a room and the boy is wearing a topi and the girl is wearing a dubatta over her head might be there. So there are uh, uh, subliminal signals. Um, there might be those, but no, not a lot of time is put into Islamic studies, the teaching thereof. Let's come to the teachers once again. How, what are the teacher training programs like? Like in India, it's compulsory for a teacher to be employed in a government school or even a private school, which is recognized by our boards. You have to have, have a bachelor in education apart from your graduation or post-graduation, as the case might be. What qualifications does a teacher have to bring into the system in Pakistan? Well, um, if, you're, if, you're in, um, if you're seeking employment in a government school in Pakistan, you don't need to have uh, a BA, but they, you, you, you end up doing a BA uh, along the way. Uh, they're incentivized in a certain manner uh, that that happens. Um, in, um, let, let me now 
refocus on on private schools, uh, quality private schools in Pakistan. And uh, quality private schools in Pakistan do not require formal educate formal education in education at all. Um, I have not come across uh, any teacher in Pakistan in 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 the world that I operate in, which is of quality private schools, uh, where teachers have done their BA. I suspect part of the reason would be that quality BA programs are not available. That would be part of it, but also uh, certainly private schools have, and quality private schools have decided that they can um, have teachers in there who are not uh, formally qualified. Uh, I'm not saying that they have made the right decision there, uh, but that's the reality. So basically, if you are a graduate in your discipline or a postgraduate, as the case might be, you are eligible to become a teacher in a school. You do not have to bring a BA with you. It is not an essential qualification. It, is it a desirable one? Well, it would be if you had uh, um, if you had quality BA programs available. Okay, I, I think there's a certain depth of uh, quality training, teacher training in Pakistan. Are teachers well-paid in Pakistan, both in the private and in the state sector? Well, what's happened in the state sector is that owing to various uh, campaigns by uh, NGOs, etc., they brought a lot of pressure to bear on provincial governments to increase their budgets. And the budgets over the last 10 years were doubled or more. Um, um, and and most of that money was then used by the by the government schools to increase teachers' salaries. So you end up with rather well-paid uh, government school teachers. Um, you know they were you they would turn heads if they mentioned their salaries, and then then those salaries come with their pensions, etc. Um, quality uh, private schools, of course, they pay their teachers well enough, uh, um, a school which is charging, um, let's say, uh, 30 to 40,000 rupees per month in Pakistan uh, could easily be paying um, 60,000 rupees per month uh, as a start, perhaps, to a, uh, to a quality teacher in Pakistan. Um, so, um, so teachers are, um, yes, of course, the, the, the pay doesn't compare to bankers, but yeah, teachers are in quality private schools are well paid. Now I'll contrast that with a totally different sector, which is the small private school in uh, in in rural areas or in semi-urban areas in Pakistan, where no, they're not well paid at all. And these are kids, these are girls who have done their twelve years of education and are teaching six-year-olds and and five-year-olds, um, and they are recruited at a pittance. Um, but and, and one of the reasons is that schools are considered safe uh, employers by, by the girls' uh, parents or, or their in-laws. Um, so, so there's a certain preference for, uh, for school, school employment. Uh, and, and I think that's exploited by the sector and the teachers are not well paid at all. That sounds very familiar too. Uh, as far as uh, women being employed in schools uh, is considered also a preferred option, I think, here in India. Um, in India, we also have uh, what is we call a very flourishing uh, tuition culture. 
with the, which means that after school, a large number of our students, especially in the senior classes or even sometimes kiddos really in primary, go for a school after school, yeah, where they go for help, uh, what is called tuition over here. It's, it's, it's an industry by itself. Uh, is that the case in Pakistan too? It prepares them for school exams, for competitive exams to get it, or medical entrance exams, engineering entrance exams. But even as I said, primary school kids go as a rule. After school, they just come home, have lunch, maybe rest a little while, and then they have the next round of schooling. Well, why, why I, I, I keep, I throw that back at you. Why would you think that we would be any different? <laughs> well, I, I, I do get the feeling that this is one place where India has stolen the race on Pakistan. Uh-huh. Uh, I think you're worse than us. Um, I think there is a somewhat more intense uh, tuition culture in India than in Pakistan because I think a lot of university exams are, it seems to me, are entirely uh, exam results based. Um, uh, whereas I think, uh, to an extent, the autonomous universities in Pakistan uh, look at other stuff uh, a little more than than it used to be. Um, so there's a more American way of recruiting students or admitting students. Um, so it's about your resume, etc. Nevertheless, nevertheless, um, I think the large majority, I think the predominant majority of um, high school students in their last year of school the predominant majority would, would go for tuitions. Um, yes, I, I, I wouldn't say majority, I would say a predominant majority goes for tuitions, um, in, even in quality schools. Now, let me contrast that with uh, what happens, what is happening to the same students when they're in their primary school and even in their middle schools, um, they, uh, they don't go for tuitions. Um, this is in, in quality schools, this is a last year or the last two year phenomenon. Not, it is not prevalent otherwise. I think a, a very small minority, a minority would go for private tuitions in, 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 in the junior school or even in middle school. And I think um, it's, it's, it's kind of frowned upon in quality schools. Um, otherwise, generally, there is uh, very much a culture of uh, students going to, uh, to tuition centers in their last couple of years. Everyone goes for, uh, for tuitions in government schools um, and otherwise, even in private schools. Um, and there is also um, in, in schools other than quality schools in Pakistan. I think students go for tuitions, even in lower classes. Hmm. Well, that's good that you don't have so many tuition classes after school, because in India, things almost a big culture. And it's a big money spinning business, uh, all these uh, centers. Yeah. Yes, indeed. And I, I, I sometimes uh, uh, meet some of these gentlemen who are smart. Um, and uh, they, they know their physics, or they know their uh, they know their English or they know their philosophy. Uh, they, they, they would run circles around you if you get into their subject. And who are doing nothing but doing private tuitions or they have by now established a business which does private tuitions. 
um, and they do rather well in life. Well, rather well is a, is a very relative term. Recently, one of these so-called uh, what are the coaching centers was valued at a billion dollars and sold. That was, I think, quite a shock for everyone here. But anyhow, <laughs> we're getting into a different realm. There. That's a that's an Indian number. It's a much larger economy. So yeah, yeah but even for India, for a you know a coaching center which is run privately to be valued at that price, wow. Okay, now to move to a different topic, and that's my last question too. We are now entering, hopefully, a post-COVID world. We have lived two years with online classes and all that the pandemic has brought us. Uh, it has been a tough time, I'm sure, for you as it has been for most schools across the world. Now that we're coming back to school, hopefully, uh, what are the challenges you face as the kids return to physical classrooms? Okay, um, first of all, the background is that. We had a we had a better pandemic than India, so I, I, I need to give you that background. Um, we were not closed for two years; we were closed for one and a half, and we came back to school in between a couple of times, twice I think. Uh, we came back to school, so uh, there was a little more connection. Uh, now, having said that, it wasn't enough; uh, it wasn't nearly enough. Um, yes, I hadn't. We hadn't heard of Zoom, uh, and then a week. After never having heard of Zoom, we were conducting Zoom classes across the school. Uh, there was an exciting time, believe it or not, um, uh, for the schools because we were doing new stuff, etc., uh, new challenges. Um, we also found that no matter how much you teach on Zoom, um, you're actually able to finish your curriculum quicker because you're not doing co-curriculars, mm. uh, etc. And somehow the feedback loop is not strong enough, so you don't know. Uh, you know the, the 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 last few students are not holding you back because they're staying quiet and they're not stopping you from going faster. Um, so we ended up finishing our curriculum much faster than otherwise. Uh, but when the kids did come back to school, we realized that they hadn't really been paying much attention to the global phenomenon. <laughs> But we had a shorter pandemic than you. Um, now, the, and, and now that the students have come back, and there was just glee yet coming back. It was just such bright faces. And the students admitted, admitted that they liked school. Um, and they were, they, it was good to be back. And there was just, uh, there, there would be a, uh, a trace of a smile on their faces when they'll see you, uh, etc. Uh, so, uh, so that was that was positive. That was positive. But you found that all these glorious, happy children um, had gone feral uh, in the last two years, and nobody had really studied much. Um, our response, certainly, I can speak for myself and my school. Uh, was that you walk at the pace of the students. You find out where they are, and then you walk at the pace that they allow you to walk. So we just spent two years walking at a pace without any feedback from them, and that didn't go well, I did it. So, um, so we've been focusing on the last third of the, the bottom third of the classroom um, and, and trying to and uh, get them back on board. Um, and that has meant that we haven't finished our, our uh, we haven't achieved our targets for the year. 
uh, and that's okay. Um, we think that it's going to take several years for, uh, for these kids to go back to where others would have, they would have been without the pandemic. Um, or, or, or they wouldn't be able to go back to it at all in certain situations, but we need to reconcile to that. We need to take the kids as, at, the pay, at their pace and as far as they are willing to go. Um, we believe that if we, um, if we try to achieve targets while ignoring the last two years, uh, we will simply not be able to achieve. Uh, we, will be, we will achieve even less. Um, so to that extent, I think that we, we, we do our weekly planning and we respond to the classroom. And we've allowed our teachers to, uh, to, uh, uh, to set a, diff a different pace between them. Uh, so one section would be racing ahead and the other wouldn't be. Um, and we need to see that we don't shuffle those classrooms as we go forward. Um, so we're responding by getting closer to the, you know, uh, to the students and finding out where they are and responding to it. Great, interesting times ahead. Let's hope we can all cope with the problems that have uh, that have arisen because of the pandemic. I think all schools are fighting with it. I, I had said last week. I would like to, would like yeah. to just, uh, just add to that um, a couple of other things that uh, that we have done, which is um, that we have jacked up jacked up our sports classes. So we have more free play and more sports than we used to have because the students were craving for it and we live in an urban environment where they don't have the kind of sports grounds available to them in the city that they do in the school. Uh, so that's the one thing that we do. So we get the energy out, get the sugar out. Um, so we've jacked up the sports, but we have brought the co-curriculars down. So there are fewer debates and there are fewer uh, elocutions and there, there is um, actually these days almost no theater. Why is that? Why is that? Uh, well, that's our response for, for this year. Mm -hmm. um, and we'll see where we go because, as I said, the school is focusing on getting the bottom third in. By jacking up sports, you're able to get more time with students who are lagging behind and you retain them in the classrooms and uh, you, you give them those support classes that they need. Um, and Less co-curricular because, as I said, we are putting more time into sports. But don't you think some kids would prefer to spend more time on theatre or elocution or debates and may not be the sporty kinds and it's exactly what they've been missing? Um, yeah, but, uh, I, I, I hear you and it's, this has not been an easy decision. Um, but we, uh, um, we've always been very big on theatre. We've been very big on theatre. Um, and we really do appreciate the confidence that that, uh, that sneaks into, a, uh, into an actor after a good performance or, or a bad performance, so long as the applause was there. Um, but, we think, but, but then again, these roles are not, you, you're not given a leading role in the theater every year. Uh, you would get it every second year or third. So we think that we have a little bit of time in, in holding theater back. And theater is a periodic activity uh, rather than a continuous one. Um, so so we, we think that we can hold it back for a year or so and, and come back to it. And similarly for debates and, and, and education. Okay, interesting. 
I had said last, but I'm going to ask one more question, a more, more personal one. You studied abroad. You were working abroad as a banker. What brought you back to Pakistan to run a school? <laughs> I, I'm afraid I have to give you a cliched answer to that one. <laughs> I, you couldn't take the, I couldn't take the Pakistani out of me while I was abroad. Uh, and, and home always beckoned. Um, it, was, it, it was there. Um, so I think that part of uh, I, I tend to give out a, so here's the counterintuitive side to that answer. I've just given you the cliche. Uh, the counterintuitive side is what happens when you have finally gone through that, uh, what you were going to do. And, and normally movies end at that point where you return home. Uh, but no, uh, there's been a long um, period after returning home. And, and, you know, sometimes I think I may as well go back to that previous life, uh, which was fun. Uh, your report's fun. I loved it. Um, and it had started loving me back. Um, but uh, you don't go back because you're needed here. Who will do all this if one is not here? Um, I'm, I'm back in my old neighborhood. Uh, they know me here. Um, they listen to me a lot more than the Gora would listen to me. Um, and they certainly need me a lot more. Um, so I think there's a lot of value added. Uh, for for somebody who wasn't adding that much value abroad, um, and and so it it and it grows around you, and I, I think that um, yes, it's not as dynamic coming back home, and uh, you're not flying around the world as you used to, uh, but but you can see that these people need you, and that's what keeps. Yeah. Interesting. Thank you very much, Mr. Saidian. That has been a very interesting conversation and it has given us at least some insight. I can't say we have the complete picture, but it has given us some insight uh, into how education is run in Pakistan. And I hear and see a lot of similarities to India. A few differences, but lots of similarities like so many other things that are common between our two countries. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for, for listening to us and uh, you take care of yourself. Thank you very much. Wish you the same. Thank you for listening. We hope you had an enjoyable experience. Catch you in the next episode.